heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. We continue our series in the book of John, obviously, this morning. Chapter 8 is a famous story, famous passage, and I, and I want you uh, to kind of take a moment for us to really kind of uh, imagine uh, what this particular day would have been like. Um, so imagine this with me. It is the Feast of Tabernacles, which we talked about last week, and that has just ended. And so Jesus and tons and tons of people are in Jerusalem, and Jesus early this morning heads out to the temple uh, to continue teaching like he normally would have. And because all these people are in, in, in Jerusalem, these big crowds hear about Jesus going to the temple that morning. They wake up early as well to go and listen to him. And Jesus had been amassing this following uh, of tons and tons of people who not, not necessarily were all believers, but were interested in what Jesus had to say, right? Like a lot of them were quote-unquote, bad people um, who uh, Jesus was preaching this message of grace and forgiveness and mercy and that they could be included, right, and they could be connected to God. And so these people who were once outcasts were really interested in what Jesus had to say. And so here they are early that morning going, wanting to listen, wanting to hear what Jesus has to say, anxiously awaiting to hope that maybe it was true that they could know God like he said they could. Because the religious people of the day would say, no, no, you are, you're an outcast. You can't. You're too bad. You're too broken. So that's what happened. So Jesus is there that morning. He's going to teach. And then that's scene one. Now cut to scene two. The camera pans over here. It's still early in the morning. And there's this woman. And she wakes up and she's lying in bed next to this man she barely knows. She's probably divorced or widowed. She's struggling to survive in a culture where women who were unmarried or divorced had a very difficult time making it. So there she lay next to this man she barely knows. She's probably feeling dirty, feeling guilty, feeling shame, feeling for, for what she has subjected herself to that night. This most likely was not a romantic fling, so she's laying there feeling dirty and guilty when all of a sudden she lays in bed contemplating those things. The door slams open and in run all of these religious people screaming, yelling, and they rip the covers off the bed. They grab her and they begin to drag her out of her home still in her nightgown. She hears them yelling and screaming things like, uh, you sinner. And she's guilty in the law and stone her, take her away. She probably is fighting and screaming and kicking and not knowing really what's going on. And they yell at her, shut up, you filthy woman. And her heart probably sinks. They get her outside and they drag her down the streets. And now everyone is staring and turn up their noses and wondering what this woman has done. Still in her nightgown, she's trying to cover herself. You can imagine her trying to, to cover herself, but the effort is futile as the, all these men drag her throughout the streets. 
Finally, they arrive at the temple, and she sees this big crowd, and she sees this man there uh, talking to this crowd, and, and she's probably assuming that this is the crowd who is prepared to stone her. She's flung onto the ground in front of this man, and with fear in her heart, she cannot bear probably to look up at him, and so instead she covers her nightgown to self and stares at the ground, assuming this man was her judge, jury, and executioner. So the men throw her on the ground, and they look at this man who was teaching that morning, who you know is Jesus. They say to him, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Moses and the law says that we should stone such women. The Bible says that we should put her to death, but what do you say we should do? Stop there for a minute. Why are they doing this? Why are these religious men making this big public spectacle, dragging this woman out into the street, throwing her down in front of Jesus and everyone else, and asking Jesus what to do with her? See, these religious men, these Pharisees, they want to discredit Jesus. They want to get rid of Jesus, and they think this will do it. They think they finally got him. You see, Jesus, like I said, had been preaching this message of grace and mercy and forgiveness and all of these followers of his, these no good, rotten sinners who were following him were buying that message, right? And so the Pharisees thought if they brought this woman who, had, who was clearly guilty, who had clearly committed adultery, and they would, if they would bring her before Jesus and remind Jesus, hey, you know what the Bible says we should do to her, we should stone her then one of two things would happen, both of which would ruin him. Either one, Jesus would agree with the Bible and he would stone her and put her to death. And if he did that, then all of those followers of his who were quote unquote bad people would think Jesus was just a hypocrite, that all this grace and love and forgiveness that he had been preaching was, he really didn't believe it because when push came to shove, he didn't back it up. He put this bad woman to death. Or option two, and if, and if that happened, all those people would, would stop following him. Or option two, he would show mercy to her. He would show mercy and tell them not to stone her, which is probably what they wanted him to do and expected him to do, which is probably why they brought the woman and not the man too, right? Because it takes two to tango, Right? And so why don't, why don't they bring the man, I don't know, they bring the woman probably to, to work up his sympathy. And if he did show mercy, if he said, no, don't stone her, let her go, they could expose him as not believing and following and obeying the Bible, not following the law. And so they would claim Jesus is a false prophet, shouldn't be trusted, he should be put to death as a false prophet or at least rejected. And so the stakes are high both for Jesus and this poor woman who is now thrown on the ground waiting to hear what's going to happen. Her fate rests in Jesus' hands, and Jesus' fate rests in his ability to navigate this trap. And so what does Jesus do? The trap has been set. Are you going to show mercy, or are you going to condemn her? Both of which will ruin him. And so as everyone is waiting, with bated breath, 
This woman wanting to know if she's going to die. The Pharisees wanting to know if their trap finally worked. The people standing around Jesus wanting to know if this grace message is really true. And instead of answering, Jesus bends down and writes in the dirt. And everybody's got to be looking around like, what's this dude doing? Why is he drawing in the dirt? We don't know. It doesn't tell us why, but... Maybe, maybe he's just wanting to build the tension and make everybody wait and build up the suspense. Maybe he wants them to understand that he doesn't feel pressure from them, that he's not intimidated or scared by them, that he is not on their timetable and he will answer the question if and when he wants to. Maybe in this moment of being asked to keep the law, he takes a moment to write with his finger the Ten Commandments as he wrote with his finger a thousand years beforehand. Just as like this personal ironic moment for him as to self as to say, the very law you are asking me to follow is a law I myself wrote. So trust me that no one understands its purpose more than me. Whatever the reason, Jesus takes this moment and the tension is building, the suspense is building. Will he show mercy and disregard the Bible or will, he follow, uh, or will he follow the Bible and lose the trust of the people and stone her? Will he show mercy or will he condemn her? So they continue to press him for an answer. Okay, Jesus, we need an answer. Stop drawing in the dirt. And in a stroke of brilliance, Jesus responds and says, let him who was without sin among you, cast the first stone. This is a famous line. Everyone knows this line. You don't even have to be in church to know this. But do you see and understand what Jesus said, how Jesus navigates this trap? The Pharisees think they finally outsmarted him. They finally trapped him. And in one sentence, he blows their mind and he manages to both uphold the law and show mercy. He upholds the law. He follows the Bible because, don't miss this, he gives them permission to stone her. He is not soft on the law. He is not excusing her sin. He is not saying, guys, let's just let this one go. I mean, look, she's pitiful. Let's just let it go. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying that her sin is no big deal. He doesn't do that. He knows that the sin of this woman deserves death, that her sin deserves the rightful justice of God. Jesus believes that the wages of sin is death. He takes her sin very seriously. And he gives the okay to have her stoned. Don't miss that. He is willing to let her be stoned. He's okay with it. He knows it's the right thing to do. But he gives one little condition. Yes, stone her. But whichever one of you doesn't have sin, throw the first stone. Can you imagine standing there as all of these uptight, holy, religious men, one by one, dropped their rocks? Thud. They hit the ground. And they all walk away. What, what incredible silence must have ensued as Jesus put them in their place. See, Jesus shows them that he will uphold his standard of righteousness in the law that he wrote, but that he will also extend mercy to even the worst of offenders. 
He shows us that the law and grace are not opposed to one another, that one can can take sin seriously and yet still show grace, compassion to the guilty. What do we learn from this story? I think we learn how to think about and how to deal with sin in our lives and in the lives of others. So when it comes to sin in our lives and the lives of others, there are two wrong ways to deal with sin and one way that will set us free. Two wrong ways and only one way that will set us free. See, no one wants to talk about sin, right? It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. We don't always know what to say to someone else that we love who is sinning. Uh, We don't want to face our own sin sometimes. We would rather just forget it, put our head in the sand, and press on. But the Bible doesn't give us that option. The whole reason Jesus came was because our sin had to be dealt with. And if we're going to walk faithfully, we must understand how to deal with it, talk about it, handle it in ourselves and in others rightly. So two wrong ways to deal with it and one way that will set us free. The first way, first wrong way to handle sin is to excuse it. If you have ever tried to talk to someone else about a sin issue in their life, you know that it can be awkward and difficult. And most of the time, when you bring up someone else's faults, how do they respond? They get defensive, right? Right? They put up a wall. They might, say to, they might say, who are you to judge me? I mean, you're not perfect. Who are you to judge me? Or they might say, oh, you're just like all those other Christians, so judgmental. Or they might say, hey, only God can judge, not your place. Or they might say, hey, what, I'm only human. I make mistakes. Or they probably often use a passage like this one and they say, don't judge me. I mean, the Bible says, let him who who has no sin cast the first stone. And that ain't you. You see, so often when confronted with our own sin, whether from someone else or the Holy Spirit, our immediate response is to be defensive and to make excuses. So often we look at the people around us and think, I know these people. They're not perfect, so I'm okay. We say, well, well, my issue, my sin isn't as bad as these other people's I know, and so I'll be okay. And so when someone else calls out a, a sin in our life, we love to deflect the attention off of us and back into them and say, well, you're a sinner too. Why are you speaking to me? You have sin. You don't get to cast a stone at me. Instead of hearing the truth and repenting, we excuse our sin with an excuse. We refuse to hear anyone else speak the truth to us. We hide behind verses like, let him who hath no sin cast the first stone. Don't judge me. But that is not what Jesus is doing in this story. He doesn't ignore her sin. He doesn't excuse it. He agrees that she has sinned. He agrees that she should be punished for it. He doesn't shy away from calling sin, sin. He doesn't blow it off as no big deal. He takes it seriously. And as a follower of Jesus, you will never be perfect until Jesus returns, but you are called to turn from the ways of the world and follow the ways of the kingdom of Christ, which means turning from your sin. It doesn't mean you won't struggle. It doesn't mean you won't fall. It simply means you don't get to ignore your sin. It simply means you have to deal with it. Sin is not okay. Jesus takes it seriously. We must take it seriously and not excuse it. Second way to deal with it wrong is to condemn. You see, for ourselves, 
We want to ignore our sin. We want to excuse our sin. We want mercy. We want forgiveness. But so often when it comes to other people, we want mercy, but we want them to get the law. We want mercy, but we want them to get judged. See, the Pharisees, they drag this woman out into the street for everyone to see, casting guilt and shame on her, and they're ready to kill her, end her life for what she's done. They thought her sin deserved death, and their sin wasn't a big deal. Her sin deserved death. Their sin wasn't a big deal. See, we look at other people who struggle with sins that might be different than what we struggle with. And instead of saying, yeah, that's different, but man, we're in the same boat together. Instead, no, we look down our noses in shame and think, man, how could someone do that? We think in our hearts, how could someone even do that? Why don't they try harder? But we say, there's no excuse, man, sin, sin. They should stop it. They need to learn to control themselves. It's an amazing ability that we have to look at our own failures and assume that they're small and that we deserve mercy and to look at other people and assume that they should be called out and need to change. See, there's a reason that churches get the stereotype of being judgmental. There's a reason people in the world look at churches and think that we're judgmental. Maybe it's because of the way that we so callously and flippantly post things on social media, calling out other people's wrongs. You know, you got some big picture, homosexuality is a sin, you know, repost if you agree, share, yeah, stick it to them. And what that says to the whole world is, we don't love you or want you or care about you. Throw the stone. Maybe it's the way that we treat people who are struggling in our own midst. The way we turn our backs on people who royally screw up. Instead of helping them, people in their darkest hour, we just gossip behind their back and say, can you believe what so-and-so did? My goodness, I would never do that. See, one of the reasons the Pharisees hated Jesus and what he was doing because the people Jesus associated with and uh, that he was with all of these prostitutes, that he was with all of these tax collectors, that he was with these sinners, that he was eating with them, that he was showing them grace. In the minds of the Pharisees, he was showing people grace who deserved to be killed, to, be, to throw rocks at them until they breathed no more. So in this story, Jesus is trying to teach these people a simple truth, that this woman who has committed adultery, this broken, guilty, sinful, adulterous woman that had been thrown on the ground, she deserved to be stoned. The wages of her sin was death. She should be condemned, but that they, the religious men, like this woman, were equally guilty before God. That their sin was just as vile, just as sinful, and also rightly deserved the condemnation and wrath of God just as much as she did. See, Jesus is not soft on the law. He tells us that if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. If you're angry at somebody, you commit murder in your heart. So he says, 
He with no sin cast the first stone in hope that in so saying they would see the depths of their own guilt and sin and realize too that they will be laid bare before God to whom they must give an account. And to say, you know what? We need as much grace and mercy as she does. See, the point is, it is not your job to condemn other people. It is not your job to sentence them. It is not your job to look down your nose in disgust and judgment against anyone else. Because as gross and as vile as you think someone else's sin is, you are just as gross, just as vile, and just as guilty as they are. You are in the same boat. There's two wrong ways to deal with sin. You can excuse it, you can blow it over it, or you can condemn people. Both are wrong. To excuse sin, to say it's not a big deal is wrong, and to condemn and to stand in judgment over someone else is wrong. So if we can't excuse sin or judge sinners, what on earth can we do? Notice what Jesus says to the woman at the end of the story. As all of these men who had prepared to stone her, uh, drop their stones and walk away, Jesus says to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. The first thing to notice is after all the men leave, Jesus is still standing there. All these men drop their stones and leave because they've sinned and they know they're guilty. And Jesus is left standing here. That's important. Because of all of the men standing there, Jesus alone had the right to actually throw the stone. Jesus had the authority. He had the goodness. He actually had never sinned. Jesus could have picked up a stone and thrown it at her. He could have rightly condemned her. But he speaks the words to this woman that she never thought some religious holy man might ever say. He looks at her and he says, I don't condemn you. He shows her grace and compassion and he forgives her. And then he says, go and sin no more. See, so he shows her grace. He lets her go, but then he calls her to stop living the way she was living. He gives her grace and then he says, change. He gives her grace and he says, repent. He gives her grace and he says, stop sinning. And the order of that is so important. See, Jesus doesn't say to her, hey, listen, go and sin no more, and then I won't condemn you. He doesn't say that. It is a blanket pardon. She's received forgiveness that is unconditional. He has forgiven her with no strings attached. It's not if you do this, then you will have my love and forgiveness. No, it is a blanket. You have been forgiven. There's no condemnation here. Now go sin no more. God's love and his forgiveness do not come with conditions. There are not marks that you must meet in your life before you can receive them. Grace comes free of charge, no strings attached. And do you know how Jesus is able to do that? Do you know how it is that Jesus is able to both hold up the Bible and think that she should be condemned and show her mercy and let her go? Though no one on earth can throw a stone, God can, and he did. 
See, the wonder of all wonders is that the rock of condemnation that we justly deserve was hurled by God onto the Son that we might be spared. You see, Jesus can let this woman go because he traded places with her. See, Jesus receives the condemnation for her sin when he died on the cross. Jesus took the rocks in her place. He was put to death so that she and us might live. Jesus wrote the law. Jesus kept the law. We break the law, and Jesus was punished as if he broke it. Jesus isn't soft on the law. He takes her sin seriously. He knows it deserves punishment. He knows she deserves death. He is simply willing to take her place. And then he calls her to repentance. He says to her, go and sin no more. He gives her this blanket pardon, no strings attached. Here is grace. But then he says, go and sin no more. You see, it's only then, it's only after grace has been shown does he call her to a better way? Does he call her to repent and change? And you have to understand this. See, change and repentance in the Bible always comes in light of the mercy that God has shown us. See, when we try to motivate people to change by guilt, we try to guilt people to change. I do it to my kids all the time. It works in the short term, right? It works in the short term. You need to eat that chicken because there are hungry people in Africa who don't have anything to eat and they'd be happy to eat it. Sometimes that works in the short time, but it doesn't change the heart. Guilt will never change you. The only way to truly fight your sin is to know that even when you fall, even when you fail, even when you screw up again, the blood of Jesus will always cover you. You see, the only way you will ever change the only way you will ever repent and change is when you know this, that if you never change, God will love you anyway. And that's the only way you actually do change. The only way you change is not when you feel bad enough about the way you live. The only way you really change is when you know you have a complete pardon, complete forgiveness with no strings attached that you don't have to go and do something to earn it, to pay it back, that it's completely free. Only then will you change. Only when you know that if you never change, that God will still love you, will it motivate you and inspire you to want to change. So how do we handle sin? By following the example of Jesus. We never excuse it. We don't belittle it. It is serious for which it's a serious thing that Jesus had to give his life for. It is not a laughing matter. We take sin seriously and we don't make excuses for it. Two, but we also don't stand in judgment over others. It is not our place to condemn anyone because like the Pharisees, we are guilty. So what do we do? We like Jesus, we speak the truth in love. See, Jesus takes her sin seriously. He shows grace and he calls her to change. And that is the pattern we follow in our lives and in the lives of others. When there is sin in your own life, like every single day, here's what you do. You take your sin seriously. You don't excuse it. You remember the gospel. You remember that your sin has been paid for 
and that you have been washed clean and that you have a blanket pardon, that you are fully known and fully loved, forgiven. You take it seriously, you remember the gospel, and three, you turn from your sin and you fight to change. You fight to change. And you gotta do it in that order. Your striving to change is fueled by the reality that God loves you even when you fail. And so our striving to change and repent is not, your striving to change is not to get God to love you. It's not to get God to forgive you. Your striving to change is because he loved you. Those are fundamentally different. Take sin seriously, remember the gospel, repent. And the same is true when there is someone in your life that you love. This is so difficult for us. I want to give you a pattern. When there's someone who is a Christian, all right, so they got to be a Christian in your life that you love, and they're in some kind of sin pattern or habit that's destroying their life, and you want to call them out on it, what do you do? Well, one, you don't excuse their sin. You don't just say, well, it's just old Charlie being Charlie. You take their sin seriously. You don't excuse it. To tell someone what they are doing is sinful is not wrong. So don't hear me say we can't do that. It is not sinful to look at someone and say, brother, what you're doing, God calls sin. Stop. That is not a wrong thing to do. But you must do it from a place that is not condemning. And the only way you can do that is to be honest with them about your own struggle and sin. And to remind them that you love them and that Jesus loves them and that in Christ there is grace and forgiveness for all who ask. So you can take your friend or your family member, whoever it is, you can take their sins seriously and you can come in humility and grace. Show them, hey, this is not beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. What you're doing is not, you have not outsinned his love and his grace. This is a serious sin, but it is not too big for him to handle. I know because look, because I've, I've got big sins in my life. And only then, only then after you've taken their sins seriously and told them that his grace is sufficient, do you call them to change? And if they don't change, you don't get to be self-righteous. You don't get to be mad. You don't get to be irritated and say, well, I tried, I'm done. No, instead you get to start over and you get to take their sin serious and you get to show them grace and you can call them to change again and again and again. And if there's someone in your life who doesn't, does not follow Jesus, I want to be clear about something. If you have a friend who doesn't know Jesus, doesn't follow Jesus, you never get to step three. You take their sin seriously, yes, and then you show them the beauty and the love and the forgiveness that Jesus offers again and again and again. You show them his love for them again and again and again. Because here's the thing. If you go to someone who doesn't believe and you get them to stop doing whatever particular sin they're doing, they're still on a highway to hell. You getting them to stop behaving however they were behaving does nothing. Their biggest issue isn't whatever particular sin they're in. Their biggest issue is their unwillingness to bow their knees to Jesus. And so you take their sin seriously and you tell them about the beauty of the gospel. That God in his love would send his son and take the blow of justice in our place. And that he's fixing the whole world and he can fix you too. 
So you go step one, step two, repeat step one, go to step two, repeat step one, go to step two. And you never call them to change until they believe. Only then can they change. A change that actually matters. We don't excuse sin, we take it seriously. Just as we have received grace, we give grace. We change or call people to change only in light of the grace that is shown to us in Christ. Or to say it another way, we speak the truth in love. You see, if we just have love and no truth, we will just have sentimentality. We'll just speak kind and sentimental and we'll excuse sin. And if we have truth without love, we will be harsh, we will be mean, and we will condemn everyone in our path as failures and as guilty. But if we can marry the truth in love, that means taking sin seriously, but in such a way that is marked by concern and love for that person's good. You see, people will only listen to you when they know how much you love them. And only, only then, when you love them, will they see the beauty of Christ's love and change. That's our model set for us by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you have shown us how to deal with sin both in our own personal life and with those in our circle of influence. God, would you help us to never excuse sin, but to see it as the enemy, to see sin as the thing that is wreaking havoc in our own lives and in the lives of those we love, to take it seriously, to not excuse it, to not sweep it under the rug, to not uh, just wash over it, to say it's not a big deal. Help us to take all sin seriously because you do, because you sent your son to die for sin. So God, would you help us to do that? And then would you help us to understand and believe and know that no matter what our sin is, no matter how embarrassing, no matter how shameful, no matter how egregious or vile it might seem to us or to the world, that we are all guilty before you, but that your grace is sufficient. That your grace in Christ is sufficient. That instead of throwing us on the ground and hurling rocks at us, you would pick us up, look us in the eye, and set us free only to turn around to meet the rocks yourself, to have the rocks of God's justice be hurled at the sun, to take our place, to be condemned, to be beaten, to be killed so that we might live. God, your love is displayed for us in that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we got ourselves better. Not while we fixed ourselves up. Not while we turned our life around. No, while we were sinful, you die. So help us to take sin seriously. Help us to know that your grace has no limits. And help us to change. We love you. Help us not to condemn people or excuse sin but to show grace that changes people. You see, real grace doesn't leave us as we were. It makes us into the image of Christ. It's a grace that transforms. 
And when you believe and trust in this grace that God is offering, you will never be the same. And so if you're here this morning and you have never believed or trusted in Christ to save you from your sin, to forgive you of your sin, this morning he extends that offer to you. It doesn't matter what your past is like. It doesn't matter what your present is like. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed, what things you have done. You cannot out his grace because he has taken the blows of justice for you. And so if that's you this morning and you would say, Brent, if I died right now, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know if I'm forgiven. I feel like I'm too bad. This morning, let me show you. There's a man on the side. I'm going to be up here. Let us come up here. Let us show you that all you've got to do is ask and it will be yours. Ask for his love and forgiveness and it'll be granted to you. If you're here this morning and there's sin in your own life and, and you've not know how to deal with it, you, you've, you've tried to deal with it by guilt and think if you could just beat yourself up enough and feel bad enough, then maybe you will change. This morning I want you to hear that that's not the word God has given you. The word he's given you is that his grace is sufficient and that his grace will change you. And that his grace is yours before you change. And if there's someone in your life that you know you've needed to call out, you've needed to talk to, but you didn't want to go and seem like this judgmental, hateful person, pray that you have the strength to go and take their sins seriously, but smother them in a love that they had never expected. And only then call them to change. You're here this morning and you want to pray. We'd love to pray with you. You want to come up here and just pray for yourself, pray by yourself. We would love for you to do that. If you need to stand and sing and thank God for the grace shown to you, even though you are guilty, do that. God, would you give us the strength to respond to your word the way you would call us to do? We love you in Christ and we pray all those people said. We'll stand and sing.